I'm going to get straight into it. Ephesians uh, 1 from five, uh, 3 to 6, it says this. How blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He is the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son, what a great verse that is. You know, last week, I mean, it was only last week that we celebrated Easter. And uh, always around Easter, we, we look at and we remember and we celebrate once again the incredible love that God the Father has for us and, and how he allowed his son to be the payment for us to be adopted into his family. And I love that, that focus that we always come around with Easter. But I love this verse too, because not only are we the recipients of God's love because of that one incredible act of love, but God continues to spoil us. He's just that good that it's not just one act of love. He continues to spoil us. He continues to be a good gift giver to you and to me. But the only way that we have been brought into the family, the only way that we can enter into all of that is because of Jesus Christ. It's because of him that we can enter into that. Here's another passage I want to read today from Galatians 4. It says for this uh, 4 to 7. But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his Son, born amongst us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those of us who had been kidnapped by the law. Thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. Heritage is a great word. It's, a, it's, 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 a, it's an important word. Heritage speaks about family lines. It speaks about your genealogy. When you talk about heritage, you speak about the culture with which you're born into and you're a part of. My, my poor kids, they are, they are multicultural as it is. I mean, my, my dad's Swiss. My mom's British. I'm South African. Uh, Beck's family's got Indian, Hawaiian, Chinese... Pick, pick a country and we'll throw it in there as well. And so my, my kids are just multicultural. They, they, and so they, they, their heritage is based on all these other cultures. They'll eat biltong one moment and dumplings the next, Swiss cheese and then a Devonshire tear for dessert. They, 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 because it's all a part of their heritage. They, it's part of who they are. Commonwealth Games, they're a winner every game, every, every competition. It's like, yeah, I'm, they're representing me. It's all good. I'm, I've got, so they're up to about 100 gold medals at the moment. But all of us have this cultural heritage. We all have this heritage that is based on our family background, our DNA. It's based on our lineage. But there's also a heritage that we have that doesn't come via the color of our skin or our ethnicity. It's based on our upbringing and our, and our family unit and the things that we go through. It's, it's based on how we're raised, our family home, the structure of our upbringing. And so those things too play a part into what each of us can actually say, this is my heritage. My heritage includes this and this. But here in Galatians, it speaks about that there's something so much bigger than just that heritage at play. There's something stronger than the color of our skin or the upbringing that we've experienced that work here. That what Jesus did on the cross, 
It actually crosses culture. It crosses barriers. It crosses um, national, ethnic, social, racial, communal, tribal differences. It, It spans all of those. And it sets us free from those heritage, heritages that we have that can so easily be the point of difference between you and I and allow us to freely experience this rightful heritage that he has purchased for us. In other words, there is a heritage and there is an intended way for you and I to live because of that heritage that we now have, but that, would, that, that is only possible because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. The only way that we can enter into that heritage is because of the act of Jesus Christ. For us to be a child of God, for us to be made right with the Father, for you and I to be adopted into his family and enjoy his lavish, gift-giving character that we read about and to experience all of this kind of stuff as our rightful heritage, all of it is only possible because of Jesus Christ. We can talk about it, we can wish for it, but the only way that we can actually enter into it, the only way that we can um, take it on as our own is because of Jesus. Because for God, family is so important. Family is so critically important to God. You may not know this, but as a part of God's family, it also means that you're a part of royalty. You're a part of royalty because we're in God's family. And as royalty, you and I have a heritage that we can rightfully access because of that. I saw a part of a documentary the other week about two young teenage girls, Malia and Sasha. And they were two young ladies who came from a a mixed heritage background, but um, they, they lived in America. And in a lot of ways, they were your typical American teenage girls. They enjoyed shopping, they enjoyed music, they enjoyed going to the mall and going on holidays and all the kind of things that you would associate with that kind of culture. But they had access to a different heritage too. And this heritage gave them things that people without access to that heritage don't get. See, these young girls would walk into a store somewhere and they would receive a different level of service compared to if you or I walked into that store. They would attend events and because of their heritage, they would get the best seats in the house and they would have access to places that the normal public just couldn't go. Wherever Marlia and Sasha went, there would be secret service agents all around them making sure that it was safe, making sure everything was okay. If you haven't worked it out yet, Malia and Sasha are the daughters of Barack and Michelle Obama, the the past president of the United States of America. See, wherever they went, these girls got the special privileges not uh, that that not every other girl was had access to have, but they got it because of who their dad was. Now I don't get that kind of treatment when I go places. I have I have security following me sometimes, but not special services watching out for me. I'll blame it on my heritage. <laughs> but they had access to a heritage. And their, herit- and their access to this heritage was based on their father because of who he was. And can I say that as a part of the family of God, where you and I are now adopted into, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, you have access to things that not everybody else has access to. Not because of who you are, but because of the rightful heritage purchased for you by Jesus Christ on the cross. It's actually got nothing to do with you. It's all about what Jesus purchased for you. 
You and I have been adopted to be children of God. And that's what Paul is saying there when he says we have been set free. In other words, the limitations to access those things has been removed. You have been set free to experience your rightful heritage. It's not right for us to access this heritage based on us and what we do. It's our rightful heritage because of what Jesus did. He carries on in Galatians 4 saying, You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave but a child? And if you are a child, you're also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. See, there's two things at play here. There's a a heritage that we get, but then there's an inheritance for the future. There's a heritage of our past that we now are adopted into this family that has a, a lineage all the way back to the beginning of time. God the Father is our Father. But now there's also an open door to an inheritance, which leads to our future. You have complete access to the inheritance because you're no longer a slave, but you're a child. You're no longer a stranger, but you're a son or a daughter. See, the point I'm trying to make today is that for God, family is really important. Family is of the utmost importance for God. The gospel story, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus has a focal point, and that is about family, about being a part of his family. The purpose of the loving relationship that God initiates through his son Jesus has more to do with securing you and I into a loving family than sometimes we care to realize. It's primary importance to him that we are accepted into his family. Now for some of us though, that word family rubs us the wrong way. And I think that's why sometimes we don't put as much emphasis on it because in the natural, that word family can mean all sorts of things to different people. Some of us in the natural come from dysfunctional families. Don't raise your hands. We all come from dysfunctional families, to be honest. In our our culture today, I don't think we really know what this idea of a normal family is anymore. It's just the the, the idea of a white picket fence home and a mum and dad who are together and who, who always get along and the dog who's like Lassie who doesn't eat your socks and doesn't bring muddy footprints into the house and... A family where nobody says anything negative to each other and everybody gets along well and everything is just perfect and rosy. Our culture doesn't know really what family like that is like. We know absent family. We know jealous family. Backstabbing family. We know borrow money with no intention of ever paying it back family. (laughs) Don't raise your hands again, please. We know addicted to substance families. We know neglectful family, broken family, divided, separated family, conditional family. As long as you're doing things for me, I'll do things for you. And as long as you're good to me, I'll I'll be good to you. That's the normal family that so many people in our culture today experience. Many families don't know what it's like to see someone stick with them through the good times and the hard times. Too many people experience a family that too easily gives up on them when things start to get tough. But the Gospels talks about a different type of family. 
The message that Paul is getting across to the church at Ephesus and Galatia is about God initiating this adoption rights into a family that is different to the natural family. This is a kingdom family that he's speaking about. Kingdom family is a faithful family. It's a family that never gives up on you. It's a family that will never turn its back on you despite the mistakes that you make. It's a family that will never look down on you because you don't get things right all the time. It's a family that loves you simply for who you are and not for what you can do. It's a family that is faithful. I want to tell you that this family that Jesus welcomes you into, what it's saying is is that you are accepted by God, you are so loved by God that he would do everything that it would take to redeem you back into a right relationship with him. For you to have a heritage that is different to the one that you currently have. But more than that, to give you an inheritance that you didn't have a right to in the first place. But he loves you so much that he wants you to experience something that you cannot find just on your own. A family that is not only a faithful family and sticks with you, but it's a forever family. When he says son and daughter, it's not based on how well you do or how well you perform as a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or a friend or a worker. His love doesn't waver or fluctuate. It simply says, I love you. You were chosen by me through the blood of Jesus, and I am not changing my mind. That's the love of Christ for you. Many of us don't know what it feels like, though. Many of us are waiting to hear from a family member those, those words. But to be honest, we probably won't hear it from our natural family members. But there is a God who shouts loving, affectionate words to us every single day through the Word of God and through the comfort of the Holy Spirit. He is pouring out words of affirmation and loving promises to you every single day because He's that God. You have a father in heaven who, take, who took a chance on you and who still loves you and who's willing to stick with you always. He doesn't miss the high moments and the, or the low moments. He sees every time that you cry and every time that you succeed, he's there cheering you on and he's never going to give up on you. He is committed to you. This is a different type of father. This is a different type of family to what many of us have experienced. I say all of that really to get to another story today. It's a well-known story that's found in Luke chapter 15, and it's considered to be the gospel within the gospel. In other words, this one story encapsulates the heart of the gospel message uh, and, and explains what it's all really about. Now, as always, it's important for us to understand the context and the surroundings in which Jesus tells a story and the group that he's speaking to. See, this story, this parable that Jesus shares is to an audience with two very distinct groups of people. So firstly, there's the scholars, there's the religious people, those who are are very well versed in the law. They attend church regularly. They've been studying since they were children. So we've got that one group of people um, who are audiences to the story that Jesus tells. And then there's another group of people that the Bible refers to as sinners. And these people do all the sorts of things that, well, you and I do. All the sorts of things that are less than God's best. They lie, they cheat, they gossip, they get angry. The the sinners, just go ahead and put yourself in this category because we're all there. And Jesus always finds himself in the midst of these two groups of people. A group of sinners and a group of religious people who think highly of themselves. 
And the religious people always get grumpy because Jesus is hanging out with the sinners. They were offended because they wanted to keep God for themselves. And sadly, there's some churches that have had the same attitude towards God and sinners. But Jesus today is talking to these two groups of people. And in Luke 15, Jesus tells a couple of stories to this group. And first, he talks about um, somebody having a hundred sheep and one of the, the sheep gets lost. And he tells also a parable about a woman who has 10 silver coins and she loses one of those in the house. And, and, and can I encourage you, if you've never read those stories before, go home, Luke 15. If you need a Bible, come and talk to me because they're, they're great stories because they really, as I said, it's the gospel within the gospel. It speaks about you and I and God's love for us. But then Jesus tells another story, and, and this is what I want to really finish looking at today. It's a story that we all, I'm sure, have heard before. It's a parable of the lost son. So Luke 15, it'll be on the screen, but we're going to read from verse 11. And Jesus says this, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Musicians, please come. See, there's a reason why this is called the gospel within the gospel. It's because this younger son is you and I. We are that son. And so this younger son comes to the father and he says, he says Dad, give me, give me my portion of the inheritance. Give me my share of the estate. In other words, what he was really saying, if you understand the cultural significance of what he was saying, is he was saying, I wish you were dead. Dad, Dad I, I wish you were dead. I know you're alive now, but I wish that you were dead so that I can have now what will be mine when you do eventually pass on. And so really, I, I, I don't want you around. I wish you were dead so I can have what I want. Give me the inheritance now that belongs to me because I don't want to wait. You, you can imagine Jesus telling the story to these people, how, how scandalous this would have been. How shocking to hear this kind of stuff. There was not much in the cultural context of Jesus speaking this that could have been worse for a, fa- for a son to say to his father. I, I, Dad, just I wish you were dead so I can have what you've worked really hard for, so I can have it and I can do with it what I want to, and I just want to forget about you. So as Jesus is telling this to both the religious people and the sinners, you can almost imagine their, their reaction of, oh no, he didn't. 
Can you believe what he said? You can imagine the shock as they're hearing the story and, and it would have gripped their attention of this, this son who would say things like that to the father. But you see, the reason that Jesus said this to the crowd was because that's what you and I do every single time that we sin. God, you don't know what's best for me. I, I know what I want, God. I want to use my body. I want to use my resources. I want to do the things that I want to do and with the things that I have, the way that I want to do it. But we know the rest of the story. He leaves, he spends all the money and things don't go the way that he thought they were going to go. Isn't it true that whenever we try and do it on our own, there's only a matter of time before it all runs out? All those plans that we had, oh, I'm going to do this on my own, and I know exactly what's going to happen, it all runs out in the end. He couldn't find a job, and so he ends up feeding pigs, wishing that he could eat the food that the pigs are, are eating because he's so hungry. And it says he finally comes to his senses and goes, oh, wait, wait a minute, back home, dad's got a whole bunch of servants. He's got a whole bunch of people working for him and, and, and they've got food. And so, heck, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to dad and I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to just say I'm sorry. I'm going to ask for him not to forgive me, but just to take me on as a hired servant because I know I've done too much for him ever to accept me back as a son, but maybe he could accept me as a, as a servant. And the Bible says that he makes his way home and then there's these beautiful few words which says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He saw him. His father saw him. The son probably didn't look a thing like he did when he left. Coming down the road, he would have been dirty. He would have had his, his clothes all, all torn up. Nothing to his name. Probably looking thin and gaunt and sickly. He's, he's gone through a lot. Probably nothing at all like when he left. But his father still saw him. Which means this for us. That he sees you. He sees you. Your father in heaven sees you. See, for him to see him while he was still a long way off tells me two things. One, that he's looking for you, and two, that he's expecting you. And it's a humbling thought that despite the things that we have done, despite the things that we've experienced, that he would still be willing to see us, that he is still looking for us, that he is still expecting us. Even though you may not look the same, even though you might have done things that have broken God's law and his heart, and done things that you're not proud of, he still sees you. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. You know, this is a completely different posture to what we sometimes think that God has towards us. God doesn't have his back turned to you with his arms folded. Some of us, we've gone through so many things. We've, we've run off with our own plans and that. And, and when we come to our senses like this, young man did and we, we say I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask to be a servant in our thinking sometimes because of the things we've done we think God's standing like this oh you're back are you oh I didn't notice you coming down the road what do you want because we've experienced that in the natural 
and we have an understanding and a mindset that that's the posture that God would take with us, but he's looking for you. He's expecting you. While you're still a long way off, he sees you. See, those who are listening to Jesus tell the story were probably expecting to hear that God wasn't wanting to be a part of him anymore, that the Father wasn't wanting to be a part of it anymore. And they would have been a bit surprised. You mean, you mean that God actually is looking out for me, that, that, that he's not mad at us, that he hasn't turned his back to us? No, he sees us and he's looking for us. Ephesians 1, 11 to 12 says this, It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us. Had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, He is working out in everything and in everyone. He sees you. Can, I, can, I, can you let that soak in this morning? He, he sees you. He's looking towards you. He notices you. He sees you. But listen, He doesn't see you to expose you. He sees you to embrace you. He's not looking at you to expose you and point it out. He's looking at you because he wants to embrace you. When the father saw him, it says that he was filled with compassion. Not filled with anger, not filled with spite, not filled with wanting retaliation. No, he was filled with compassion. The story isn't finished there. See, the father sees the son and he runs and he embraces his son. And the the son starts this well-prepared speech to the father. He says, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm, I, I, I know that I, I've done things that would disqualify me from the family. So please take me on as a servant. I, I know that there's not much hope for me, for you to treat me like a son again. Because of the things that I've done and the things that I said to you. I was reading the story again this week and there's these couple of words, which is almost like a cliffhanger in the story. See, the son is giving his speech to the father. They would have rehearsed, I'm sure, over and over and over. But then it says this. But the father wasn't listening. You can picture the response from the crowd to hearing that, can't you? The religious people would have been, see, I told you. I told you God doesn't have any time for that sinful living. The religious people would have been, I told you that you can't live that way and expect to get away with it. I knew it. I knew that God wasn't listening to your excuses. And I can imagine what the sinners were feeling when they heard that Jesus said that the Father wasn't listening. Well, what do we do then? What what do I do? Is there anything that I can say that will get God's attention? I've made mistakes. I've done wrong. I know that, but... But if he's not listening, then what, what can I do? But then Jesus says something that changes everything for these people. It exposes the true intention of the gospel and it reveals the very heart of God. See, it carries on. But the father wasn't listening because he was calling to the servants, Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring, the family ring, put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. 
Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son, my son is here, given up for dead and now alive. Sometimes when God is silent, it's not because he's mad at you. It's because he's making preparations for you. Sometimes when God is silent, it's not because he's mad at you. He is simply making preparations for you. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the last words of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and the very start of the New Testament, there were 400 years of silence from God. He's not saying anything generation after generation. He's not saying anything. People are praying and he's not replying. And so people interpreted that as God was really mad at his people. But what we see in the Gospels in the New Testament is that God wasn't mad. He was making preparations. God was making preparations to send his son Jesus to the earth to extend the grace of God that can only be given through Jesus' birth and death on the cross. The silence wasn't God getting over his anger at us. It was God preparing, saying, get the robe ready, prepare the party, get everything ready for a celebration. Get the family ring ready because I'm about to do something that is going to welcome all these other people into the family to allow them to experience the inheritance of God. I'm preparing to celebrate because my child that was once lost is now found. My child that was once dead has been found alive and let the feast begin. I'm preparing for a great day. He is not silent because he's angry. Maybe he's just preparing something. Imagine how the sinners would have felt hearing this. You mean I'm accepted? You mean uh, despite the things I've done? That I'm not disqualified even though I've said things and done things. But Jesus was saying to them, I, I don't need your lengthy speech or your promise to work harder. I've chosen you already and adopted you as my son and daughter. Fully adopted as a son and daughter. Not because anything that you could do for me, but because Jesus took all your sin and shame on the cross. God's heart for you is to be a son and a daughter, not a servant. To be a part of this great and glorious family. With every head bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you'd say that your relationship with God is more servant than it is son or daughter. Perhaps today you've experienced once the family of God and you've understood how he's loved and embraced you. But you've gone off and you can relate to this younger son. You've gone off and you've done things your own way. And maybe you feel that your only real hope is to somehow earn God's love back and for him to maybe take you on as a servant. If that's you, I want you to know today that God is looking for you. And if you're feeling like today is a day of coming back to God and you start walking towards Him, I want you to know that He's the God who sees from a distance and His heart is full of compassion towards you. God's not looking for lengthy speeches. He's looking for surrender. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to respond. If that's you, don't you want to just put your hand up? Nobody else looking around, just myself. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Thank you. 
feel like you're more servant than son. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are looking for us, that you see us. And Lord God, I pray for those who have responded today, who've said, I feel so much more like all I could be is a servant. I couldn't be a son or a daughter. That Lord, you'd respond to their steps towards you. You're not interested in lengthy speeches, Lord God. You want surrender. Lord God, I pray for those who have responded that they would just surrender to your love. That they would accept the offer of this heritage that you have purchased for us. And the inheritance that comes with that. Lord God, would you just secure in their hearts to know that you love them. That you love them. That despite what they've done, despite what they've said, despite where they've gone, you love them and you're welcoming them back with open arms. Finally today, maybe you've never thought about being adopted into the family of God. This morning, I want you to know that the message of the gospel is all about making you a son, making you a daughter. God is willingly wanting to adopt you into the family of God. It's not based on your performances or your past. He chooses us. And if that's you today and you would say, I, I want in on that family. I know I've done things wrong and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about some of my decisions, but I want to be included in, in that family. If that's you, again, nobody else looking around, just me. Don't you want to put your hand up in the air? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to accept the invitation to be a part of God's family. Just giving it one more moment. Church, I wonder if us all, we can repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I turn from my old ways and I choose to follow you as Lord and Savior of my life. Help me to live for you and to love you all the days of my life. I thank you that I am adopted into your family. Today I am new. Today I am changed. Today I am forgiven. And today I am free. In Jesus' name. Amen.